Thank you, Brian and Beth. And we ought to be amazed every day at what God's doing. And God is amazing, and therefore we have reason to be uh, expecting God to do amazing things. Uh, I'm also thankful, uh, as I mentioned before, Mrs. Weimer's been uh, on the organ over there, and that's been exciting. She's got a birthday coming up on Friday. And, uh, and so we rejoice and celebrate with her and just thankful for the Lord bringing the Weimers here. What a blessing they've been. Uh, so I wanna, we're going to put the, the series on heaven. We've stopped that for now. I mentioned we're going to go into the prophetic aspect of that because uh, as we look into the different things, the new Jerusalem, and uh, then we're getting into the millennium and we're getting into a lot of future aspects. And so we're going to get to that. But before we do... I want to spend a few Wednesday nights on another series. And uh, I told Brother Autry I couldn't come up with a good title, good name for the series. And so this is the best I could come up with. It's one word. It's Jesus. And so we want to look at Jesus. And uh, I trust it will be a help. And as we get a, a better understanding and bigger picture, uh, I, I asked the kids going home, what did you get out of the message? Did you hear? Trying to help them. They try to take notes, of course. Uh, they, they're all over in King's Kids right now, but when they're over here uh, in the service and, and I was putting, they know, I'm putting them on the spot. You got to come through. And now, especially if you had the slides up there, you're bound to get something out of it. And, and Gretchen piped up real fast uh, when I asked, what did I preach on? She said, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I was pretty safe. And so, but this series will be really safe. We want to look at Jesus. Everyone has an idea of who he is. And there are people that exist in the world that still have yet to hear his name. That's quite unfortunate. But for those of us who do, we can become so acquainted and familiar with a theory that we still lose sight of the reality of who he is. And our theme this year is experiencing God, not just knowing him. You can know Abraham Lincoln, but not experience him. But God wants us to experience the reality and of God, who he is and the saving work of Jesus Christ. So tonight I want to ask you to, to turn to three places. And if you want to mark these, and we will look at one other, but at least three places. And if you want to uh, st put a marker in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, we'll get to that one. 1 Peter in chapter 5. And after you do that, then Hebrews chapter 13. 1 Peter 5 and Hebrews chapter 13. And then John chapter number 10. And that's where we'll start. John chapter number 10. First Peter 5, Hebrews 13, John chapter number 10. And if you want to mark one other, we're, we're going to turn over to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. Now you may not be familiar with the name Clifton Hillgas, but you're probably familiar with his work. What he produced during his 40-year career saved many of us from academic ruin. 
1958, Clifton borrowed simply $4,000 from a local bank and he began channeling his love of literature into a series of guidebooks that he called Cliff's Notes. Within 10 years, his little black and yellow books were a million dollar business. Hillglass launched his Cliff Notes in August of 1958 with a line of 16 Shakespearean study guides. In each of the slender, uh, slender pamphlets, uh, Mr. Hillgas included a note to readers with his signature at the bottom. And he would say, a thorough appreciation of literature allows no shortcuts. But that's precisely what his little pamphlets were. They were shortcuts. And they were often called cheater books. Uh, whereas Mr. Hillgas maintained they were study guides. And he would take a book like Alice in Wonderland and he'd give the reader just enough of the highlights to get a general understanding of the book. But it wasn't like reading the entire book. By 1989, Forbes magazine reported that the company, with more than 220 titles, was making $11 million a year. And some news reports have said that Cliff Notes has printed more than 50 million guides. Captain, why didn't you think of this? Just read a book and put a, a digested version in there and you'd be a multimillionaire. Over these next few weeks, I want us to look at the Word of God and journey to the land of God and by way of Bible text. And, and rather than giving you cliff notes, I want to give you Billy's notes. And, and I want us to just be encouraged in Jesus and who He is and there's a lot, again, a lot of people, a lot of places that'll preach and say it's about Jesus. But if they've gotten away from the truth, Jesus said he is the way, the truth. And the word of God, John 17, verse 17, thy word is truth. You get away from truth, you've gotten away from Jesus. And so I want us to, to, um, to take a little journey. Now tonight, I want you to go with me. To the shepherd's fields on the outskirts of Bethlehem. We were there. This is the same Bethlehem that the prophet Micah spoke about beginning in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Which says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. And verse 5 says, or excuse me, verse 4, Micah 5 and verse 4, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And then verse 5 says, and this man shall be the peace. And I'm going to stop there. In Micah, this is the same Bethlehem where the future king of Israel, King David, grew up shepherding sheep. And yes, it's the same Bethlehem where Jesus was born, which fulfilled the prophecy of Micah. Micah is telling us of a wonderful son that's going to be born. In fact, Jesus Christ is told to us in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
You know, Jesus was a wonderful son. He was a son in his humanity, meaning he's fully man. He was a son in his divinity, meaning he's fully God. He is the Son of Man in John 5 and verse 27. He is the Son of God in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12 and 1 John 5 and verse 20. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's a wonderful son, but he's also a wonderful savior. One night when Joseph laid his head down on a pillow to sleep, he never imagined that according to Matthew 1 and verse 20, he would receive a message from one of the Lord's angels in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Listen, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus was a wonderful son, but he was also a wonderful Savior. Then we read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 through 11 about an angel dispatched from heaven bringing good news to the shepherds. In verse 10 it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. No, Jesus' name, it means the salvation of the Lord. It means the Lord of salvation. It means the Savior. Jesus is a wonderful son. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. But in the time we have remaining tonight, I want to talk to you from the shepherd's fields of Bethlehem. And I want to talk to you about Jesus, a wonderful shepherd. Jesus a wonderful shepherd. And that's the title tonight, Jesus, a wonderful shepherd. Now I can hear someone thinking, okay, but what kind of shepherd is he? And what difference does it really make in my life tonight? In my life? And that's a great question. And I think the Bible gives a great answer. You know, I found this, you ask good questions, you'll get good answers. You ask the right question, you'll get the right answer. And that's a great question. The Bible gives a great answer. Actually, it gives us great answers because we're discovering tonight from the Word of God what kind of shepherd Jesus is. And here's what we're going to find. Here's the, the, three, uh, the three points. The, and you'll see it on the screen in a moment. But here's the, the, the three areas in which the Bible describes Jesus being a shepherd. The Bible says he's the good shepherd. The Bible tells us he's a great shepherd. And then the Bible says he's the chief shepherd. Tonight we're looking at Jesus, a wonderful shepherd. All right, so what makes Jesus a good shepherd? That's what he's called in John chapter 10. Notice in verse number 1. Jesus says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief 
and a robber. But he that entereth in by the doors, the shepherd of the sheep, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that have ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the, what's the two words? Good shepherd. What makes Jesus the good shepherd? Number one tonight, it's his redemption that makes him the good shepherd. His redemption. The word redemption, redeem, is the idea of buying back. Man was lost in sin. God's created beings, Adam and Eve, sinned and they uh, were separated from God and God made a way for mankind to be reconciled with their creator by way of the Savior, by way of this good shepherd. And Jesus on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. He paid the sin debt so that there's nothing that you and I can do to cleanse us of sins. There's nothing we can do to obtain eternal life. There's nothing we can do to get saved because Jesus has done it all. There is a decision we can make and that is we can put our faith and trust and dependence upon the one who has redeemed, who has purchased with his own blood. That's the gift of eternal life. See, salvation is not something, it's getting someone. His name is Jesus. He's the good shepherd. Why? Because it says, notice in verse number 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What does that mean? It means that his death was voluntary. Jesus wasn't murdered. He gave voluntarily his life. He was willing to die. He lays down his life for the sheep. Not only was it a voluntary death, it's a vicarious death. Meaning that if Jesus did not die for your sins and mine on the cross, you would have to die for your sin I would have to die for my sin and the payment that we would have to make would be eternal separation from God because we could never pay enough. But Jesus vicariously as our substitute, the perfect spotless lamb of God, 
took our place. His death was not only voluntary, his death was not only vicarious in that it was a substitute, but his death was also victorious. We celebrated the victory of his death coming out of the grave three days later this past Sunday. Notice in verse number 18 of John 10. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my Father. Remember Romans chapter 5. It says in verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In verse number 8 of Romans 5, it goes on to say, But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because his death was a victorious death. Now, Psalm chapter 22, um, let's turn over to there because this is going to parallel everything that we look at tonight over in Psalm chapter 22. And we're going to see a description of his redemption. I believe the most messianic chapter in the Old Testament written thousands of years, uh, at least a thousand years before Calvary, is Psalm 22. And it's here we find the psalmist describing the price that Jesus would pay to redeem us. It's, it's as though the psalmist was standing at the foot of the cross, but this is a thousand years before the cross. And here he's describing the bloody scene like a news reporter describing a battle scene. Those Psalm 22 is a thousand years before the cross. Now you're going to recognize verse number one. Verse one, the psalmist writes, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? You see, Jesus quoted these words of David. The good shepherd quoted these words while on the cross. These were the words spoken by Jesus while nailed to the cross for your sins and mine. Because because he was beaten, we are healed. Because Jesus was forsaken, we can be forgiven. Because Jesus died, we can have an eternal home. You see, all of our failures, all of our sins are washed away in his blood. And that's the description of Psalm chapter 22. Notice in verse number 15 of Psalm 22. This is the the psalmist again. and, And this is what took place. He's describing again a thousand years before Jesus experienced this on the cross. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me Psalm 22 Jesus is here as the good shepherd dying for the sheep why because he wants to redeem them In Revelation 5 and verse 9, you don't need to turn there, but there's a new song that will be sung. 
the new song in heaven, it will go like this, Revelation 5 and verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, out and tongue and people and nation. May I tell you tonight that Jesus did more than die for you? That in verse number 9 of Revelation chapter number 5, it says that he was slain. Jesus did more than die for you on the cross. He literally was slaughtered for you. The, the word slain, and there is a difference. Slain or slaughtered, it speaks of being cut in the throat for a sacrifice. Jesus was not merely put to death. He was slaughtered. He was slain. He was sacrificed so that he could redeem us. He was offered as a sacrifice, the just for the unjust. Why? To bring us to God. Have you ever let him do that for you? Do you want to know what makes Jesus the good shepherd? It's his redemption. It's being slaughtered and slain on the cross. It's the blood that he shed to pay for your sin debt and mine. Oh, Jesus, what a wonderful shepherd. As wonderful as that is, there's even more that I want you to see. Now look with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Go over to Hebrews 13 and, uh, and let's begin in verse number 20. Hebrews 13 and beginning in verse number 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, notice that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus is not only the good shepherd because of the redemption, the blood that he shed to pay for our sin debt, but he's also called the great shepherd. Now, if it's redemption that makes him the good shepherd, then it's the resurrection that makes him the great shepherd. It's the resurrection. Notice again what it says in verse 29, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, what is, what's the emphasis? He's emphasizing what we just emphasized on Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And notice in verse number 21, because of the resurrection and because he's a great shepherd, here's his longing and desire. Here's his plan. Verse 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look again, verse 20. May the God of peace, now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the God of peace. I want to ask you a personal question tonight. Are you worried about anything? 
Is there anything in your life that worries you? You may say, I'm really worried about, and you fill in the blank. I'm worried about my health. Worried about my finances. Worried about being accepted into college. Worried about my children. Worried about my aging parents. Is there anything that worries you? Then let me ask you this question. Are you a child of God? If that's the case, has your life been changed through a relationship with Jesus? Romans 8 and verse 37, is it still not true that you are more than conquerors through the one that loves you? Are you a child of the king? Do you know the prince of peace? Then why would you allow the devil the stronghold of worry in your life? Look at Hebrews 13 and verse 20 again. Now the God of peace. Do you know why he is described as the God of peace? Because that's what his presence brings. Listen to the words of our Savior in John 14 and verse 27. The night before he went to the cross. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, here's something I've discovered, and that is the more time I spend with God the God of peace, the more peace I have. The less time I spend with the God of peace, the less peace I have. Here's another way of saying it. The more time I spend in His Word, the less worries I have, and the less time I spend in His Word, the more worries I have. You don't have panic attacks when you're in the presence of Jesus. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. Why? Why don't we uh, have anxiety and stress and worry when we're in the presence of Jesus? Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. For thou wilt keep him. It didn't say that he might. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Don't miss this. As trust in God moves into your life, worry will always move out. And as worry moves into your life, confidence in God moves out. See, worry is our announcement. Panicking is an announcement that we're not trusting God. What is trust? Trust carries the idea of having your face on the ground. Trust is the idea of you lying there with your face in the dirt before God, just having confidence in God in every circumstance. Whatever it is that brings worry, conflict, panic in your life, trust says, 
I am falling before God and I let him have it. He will take care of it. He's God. Psalm 84 and verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is that man that trusteth in thee. Now look back at Psalm chapter 22. I want you to to see uh, over there because again, this is going to match up in parallel. In Psalm chapter 22, again, these are what we would call the Messianic Psalms. These are the Psalms that were written a thousand years in advance, talking about the Messiah and proclaiming Him. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the very prophecies that were spoken of Him. And He fit every description of Him in Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Psalm chapter 22, we find the good shepherd dying for his sheep. But in Psalm chapter 23, that familiar psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Here we find the great shepherd living for his sheep. Look at it in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He leads me. He renews me. He comforts me. He's with me. He overflows my cup. Do you know what Psalm 23 takes care of today? And if you wake up tomorrow, it'll take care of tomorrow. It sums up all of our needs in life. And it sums up all of his abundance of grace. Just as Psalm 22 takes care of our past, Psalm 23 takes care of our present. See, when the Lord is your shepherd, that's enough. He is enough. He's enough to meet your need. He's enough to calm your nerves. He's enough to clear out vision. He's enough to restore our souls. He's enough to ensure our future. He's enough to bless us each day. Jesus, what a wonderful shepherd. Not only is his redemption what makes him a good shepherd, his resurrection is what makes him the great shepherd. But the Bible does describe him in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 as the chief shepherd. Let's look there. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You see, his redemption is what makes him the good shepherd. His resurrection is what makes him the great shepherd. And it's the return promise of Jesus that makes him the chief shepherd. 
Jesus is the good shepherd who died for his sheep. He's the great shepherd who lives for his sheep. But he's the chief shepherd who will return for his sheep. Isn't that what the chief shepherd spoke to his disciples about in John chapter 14? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus is our chief shepherd. He will return for his sheep. He's not coming again to to claim or to, to gather religious people. In fact, the Bible tells us and. And and Matthew, that there will be those who will say to Jesus, Lord, I've preached in your name. I've prophesied in your name. I've done many wonderful things in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. See, it's not what you do for Jesus that determines whether or not you're one of his sheep. It's what you've given him permission to do for you. It's whenever you've realized sin is your problem. Hell is the destination of everyone who dies without Jesus, but only Jesus can save. And when you call upon Jesus to be your personal Savior, only then and then does one become one of his sheep, one of his children. And one day Jesus will come again. You know, when Jesus comes again at the rapture, and there is a rapture that will take place. Nothing has to happen before the rapture takes place. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, the day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus could come back before this service ends. There's nothing preventing Jesus from coming except the Father's own doing. And when Jesus comes back, there will not be any do-overs. You will not be given a second chance. We are living in an age in which God has been merciful. 2 Peter 3 says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to him through repentance, that God is long-suffering. Why is it that when Jesus comes again, There will not be an opportunity for someone to get saved who's not yet saved. Because 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, now's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Listen, you can say no to Jesus, but you do not control the consequences of your choice. You make your decision, your decision then makes you. What you do with Jesus Christ determines what you will do for all of eternity, where you'll spend an eternity. You see, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. It's not a place for good people. There are no good people, according to Romans chapter 3. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of God's standard and glory. All of us need a Savior. But He only saves those who would admit, I'm a sinner, I'm heading to hell, I need Jesus Christ. And whosoever then would call upon Jesus, only those can He save. He loves you too much to save you against your will. 
Jesus is coming again. But when the chief shepherd returns, he's only coming for his sheep. Would you go with me one more time to those this trilogy of Psalms, the Messianic Psalms. And let's look at Psalm chapter 22 and 23. I want you to see Psalm 24. Psalm 22, 23, and 24, they present the whole story of God's grace. And, and they answer the three great questions that we have. What about my past? Well, that's answered in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 takes us to Calvary. That's what he wrote about. What about my present? Psalm 23. He takes us to the gentle pastures where he leads us and feeds us. What about my future? That's Psalm 24. Psalm 24 takes us to Mount Zion. Here's another way of looking at these three Psalms. Psalm 22, it takes us to Calvary. Psalm 24 takes us to Zion. And in between is Psalm 23. And that's where we're living today. Psalm 23 is between the cross and between his return. It's those green pastures of God's presence and his provision and his peace. Again, that's why we emphasize experiencing God. That's what discipleship is about. We're wanting everybody who says I'm saved to live like it. Everyone who says I'm saved, not to go through the motions, but to go through experiencing the miracles of God on a daily basis of being in that Psalm 23 green pastures of the presence of Almighty God. But Psalm 24, speaking of the future, look at it in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Ah, oh, Jesus what a wonderful shepherd. The king is coming. The chief shepherd will soon return. His name is Jesus. Jesus. One of these days we're going to see him in all his glory. One day soon, I believe, he's coming for us or we'll go to meet him. One day soon, all of our enemies will be defeated. All of our problems that are just temporary will be solved. All of our blessings will then be eternal. We don't talk a lot about it, but when he comes, 1 Peter 5 and verse 4 does refer to the fact that when the chief shepherd comes, he will bring a crown. He will reward. And there in verse number uh, 4, 1 Peter 5, he's referring to the pastors, but he will bring, he will reward at his coming. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14 and 15. 2 Chronicles 15 and verse 7, be ye strong therefore, let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Remember, Psalm 22, the good shepherd, he dies for his sheep. Psalm 23, the great shepherd, he lives for his sheep. Psalm 24, the chief shepherd, 
returns for his sheep. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Every sheep, need, every sheep also needs a flock. Every one of us, we need a personal relationship with Jesus. Everyone who is saved by the blood of Jesus needs a church family. Jesus, he was a wonderful son. Jesus, he's a wonderful savior. Jesus, he's a wonderful shepherd. He was the good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. But he's also the chief shepherd. A visitor saw the shepherds there in Nazareth bringing their flocks to water them at the well. When the sheep had drunk their fill, the shepherds called and their sheep followed them. The visitor asked the shepherds if the sheep always followed their own shepherds when they called them. And the shepherds said, yes. As I mentioned to you the other night, there we would find on the hillside pods of sheep all over the place and a shepherd with each pod. And the shepherd said, yes, they will always respond to their shepherd except under one condition. And the guest said, what is it? The sheep that do not follow the voice of the shepherd are the sick sheep. If a sheep is healthy, it will always follow the shepherd. But if there's something wrong with the sheep, it will follow anybody. It is said that the eastern shepherd, where we were, as he brings his sheep back to the fold each night, he would stand at the door and count each one. Remember Jesus said in John 10 that he's the door. He's the door in which one enters into the gate and enters back out, exits back out into the pasture. There the Bedouins, the shepherds, they would count their sheep one by one. And as the shepherd counts the sheep, he puts his hand on the head of each animal. He makes a habit of touching each one of them. If he were to grow careless and neglect to touch his sheep habitually, it would soon turn its head away when it hears the shepherd's voice. This, of course, can be very serious for such a a broken habit by the shepherd could cause the animal actually to ignore a warning from the shepherd and subsequently could be disastrous or even deathly for the sheep. If we're experiencing the shepherd's touch daily in our lives, we will recognize his voice when he warns. When he's warning of impending danger, I don't think it's a big deal. Well, if he says it is, it is. I don't think I ought to do it. If he says you should, you better shut up and do it. He's the chief shepherd. What does that mean? That means you need to learn to practice his presence daily. It means experience God. If we do not practice his presence, then we have probably been practicing the presence of our enemy. Our Lord awaits each day the moment to touch his sheep with his presence. Let's stand together, please.